Welcome. I'm Erin Brown, and I'm the editorial director of Zocalo Public Square, an Arizona State University media enterprise. We are excited to partner with KCRW to present Do We Even Need a City Council? I am pleased to introduce our moderator, Jenea Williams. Jenea is KCRW's host of All Things Considered. She has worn many hats in public radio as a reporter covering arts and culture for WNYC, as a tech reporter at WWNO in New Orleans, as a live events producer, and as a newscast anchor. And she has won national awards for her work. Over to you, Jenea. I'm Jenea Williams. I'm the host of All Things Considered on KCRW, and I'm so happy to be here again to host another Zocalo event and to talk about the issues and the future of the LA City Council with our wonderful panel. Although it has a much spicier title online, do we even need a city council? I'm so sorry, Nithya. <laughs> um, so typically we start by kind of setting the table and talking a little bit about ourselves, but I think that there's nothing really typical about what's going on in LA politics right now and in the city council. First, let me introduce my panel. Uh, Leonora Kamner is Director of Public Access Democracy, which is a Democratic Lottery Advocacy Organization. And she's on the steering committee of the Represent California Project, a call for a state constitutional assembly. She's also Executive Director of Abundant Housing LA, which is a housing advocacy organization. In 2019, she led the effort for the Southern California Coastal Plan, and she served on the Santa Monica Housing Commission from 2019 to 2022. She's also been an attorney working in the nonprofit sector to defend tenants from eviction. Welcome, Leonora. Thank you so Thank much. Karthik Ramakrishnan is a professor of public policy at UC Riverside, and he's the executive director of California 100, which is a statewide initiative focused on building a shared vision and strategy for California's next century that is innovative, sustainable, and equitable. He also founded the Center for Social Innovation at UC Riverside and AAPI Data, which is a national publisher of demographic data and policy research on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. He's written many articles and seven books, most recently Citizenship Reimagined and Framing Immigrants. And he's currently working on projects related to racial equity in philanthropy and regional development. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Nithya Raman is an urban planner, a graduate of Harvard and MIT, a working mother, an immigrant, and a member of the LA City Council representing District 4. After several years serving on the Silver Lake Neighborhood Council, she co-founded the Sila Neighborhood Homeless Coalition. She ran for City Council in 2019 and became the first Asian American woman and the first South Asian ever to serve on the City Council. She's currently chair of the Information Technology and General Services Committee, vice chair of the Homelessness and Poverty Committee and of the Housing Committee, and a member of the Economic Development and Jobs and Immig Immigrant Affairs, Civil Rights and Equity Committees. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nithya, yes. for coming. And now, because of the incidents that led to this panel, I am now acting chair Ac and acting of chair. Housing <laughs> Committee and Homelessness <laughs> and Poverty. Both? Yes. <laughs> and last but not least, Miguel A. Santana is the president and CEO of the Weingart Foundation since 2021. He has over 30 years of leadership experience in fiscal, legislative, political, and community issues. He was previously the city administrative officer for the city of LA, where he oversaw the city's $9 billion budget and designed the city's first ever comprehensive homeless strategy. He's also served as one of five deputy chief executive officers for LA County, overseeing social service programs, 
supporting people experiencing homelessness. He engages in numerous civic efforts to create a more equitable Southern California, including serving as chair of the Committee for Greater LA. Miguel, thank you so much for being here. So, as I was saying, <laughs> I think we should just get it out of the way, the elephant in the room, or the two elephants in the room, the two slightly racist elephants <laughs> who will not stand down and will not resign. So I just want to start with you, Council Member Raman, and ask how are you feeling about all this that's transpired in the last almost two months? Well, you know, I think um, this has been an incredibly shocking moment for the city of Los Angeles. And as someone who sat beside these individuals around the horseshoe where we legislate on these issues, um, I was appalled at the remarks that I heard, embarrassed for the body that I serve on, and sad for Los Angeles uh, because those words really, in my mind, don't represent me or anyone else who lives in the city. I don't think they represent the approach that I see among Angelinos around me. But I also, um, you know, I think, I think we are at a moment right now where the longer that these individuals stay on the council, um, particularly one who, you know, one has already been voted out uh, and a new person will be taking um, his seat shortly. But I think the longer that people refuse to resign, I think there's opportunity for more pain and more, for more division to form in this city. And I think one thing that I'm very, very focused on in this moment is to really think about what unites us as a city, to think about the fact that uh, what was happening in that room was not about as they were saying, Latino power, but really about their own power, because they were making statements about candidates um, who were Latino running against either them or other challengers on the council. It was really about consolidating personal power. And I think the more that we focus on that, and the more that we talk about how we can change processes in the city so that we don't have a repeat of that kind of divisive conversation again, I think that's that to me is the way forward out of this moment, to use this pain to really fix some of the big issues that we're facing here in LA. And before we dive into talking about some of the processes and ways we can change things, is there anything that you want people to know? Because you're on the ground, you're doing the work of being a city council member. Is there anything that you think that people are getting wrong or anything you want people to know about the work that you do? Well, you know, I, I'm pretty new to politics here in Los Angeles. I ran for office not having been involved in you know, local democratic clubs. I went into the building in December of 2020 when I started, not really knowing anyone in the building. And I think the thing that drew me to run for office was this real feeling that we can do better here in Los Angeles. That you know, in my own neighborhood where I saw more tents appearing on the streets, where I saw people losing their homes, that I knew as an urban planner, as someone who'd studied the city and watched the city, that the city could be more muscular in addressing those challenges and taking them on and in having tough conversations with residents because none of these problems are gonna be easy to solve. And I think the thing that I wanna tell people as I go out, and I see that this incident has destroyed trust and credibility even further here in the city of Los Angeles. The thing that I wanna tell people as I go out and, and talk to them is that not every council member is like that and that the city doesn't have to be 
uh, a place where you don't have faith. I think we can build a better city. We can work together to build it and to reimagine it. And there are many of us who are there, whether it be staff, whether it be elected officials, um, and people throughout this city that I see when I'm out meeting people who want to have faith and who want to have trust and, and that I'm really here to do the work with them to try and rebuild that. Great. So let's talk about how we got here. Miguel, I, I mean, can you help me understand how we got here? I know LA has a history of interfaith coalitions, interracial coalitions, and I'm sure it still does and they're very robust and it still will continue to have those um, very, uh, very important coalitions, but can you help me understand how we got here to this point? So if you sort of look at what was going on in that room, as the councilwoman stated, it was really about the distribution of power and the hoarding of power. And that's an LA tradition. <laughs> it's not, it wasn't unique. It's happened generation after generation. In many ways, the city was founded on those principles. You know, the, the evolution of the maturity of Los Angeles was, was, was occurring at the same time that redlining was the law of the land. In the 1920s, the super majority of the city was not, uh, was not permissible for people of color to buy property in. And it wasn't an accident, it was very intentional. And so our governance structure was mirrored that. Our commission structure mirrored that. Our policing policy mirrored that. It was all about maintaining privilege for some at the expense of others. And so when you take a step back and sort of really try to ignore the language and the, and, and the vulgarness of what was heard, the, the real conversation was about power. And so, to, so it's not an accident that we got here. When, when you sort of look at it from a historical perspective, and it's very likely to happen again unless we change it. And so I think what has been inspiring for me is number one, I think there's a reckoning, a real reckoning of that reality, of that legacy. And it's, and it's honest and it's raw and it's very clear. And at the same time, the coalition that you referenced is very strong mm -hmm. because it is, it is very powerful to see all of Los Angeles react the way Los Angeles has. Right. To see uh, the public testimony, 20% of it being done in Spanish. To see folks saying, this is not the Los Angeles that I know, that I love, that I want us to be and demanding that we do something dramatically different. And so the challenge for us, for this generation of Angelinos, is to figure out, well, what is it that we're gonna do differently? And not waste this moment to simply let the headlines go away and let the temperature die down, but really present a new vision for the future of Los Angeles and its very systems that, we, that govern us. So let's talk a little bit more about that, about the vision that we're all here trying to achieve. I mean, before we start talking about how we can change things, um, Leonora and Karthik, um, what do you think, what are we going for? What are the goals? Like, what does a real representative democracy look like? Well, I, I can't say how much I agree with Miguel's comments. 
this, because of the history of these kinds of problems, uh, you know, as Miguel said, there's, there's a, a long history of power hoarding. And so you know, we, we need to face the fact that there's a systemic problem with the way that governance is happening. And it, it's not just a matter of electing better people or just hoping the next person is, is gonna have better morals. You know, the problem is that power is corrupting. You know, it's corrupting even for people who have the best intentions, who have great visions. And honestly, a lot of people don't even have good intentions to begin with. <laughs> so, so, you know, so we're gonna hand over power to these people. And I, I think it's no surprise when you think about uh, the way that people get power. They have to raise a lot of money for campaigns. They have to spend a lot of time doing that. They, they also need to have the special connections and the insider connections that help get endorsements. Uh, and that's, that's not accessible to most people. Um, you know, the word democracy is really about regular people being in power. But when, when those are the requirements to get into office, that's out of reach for most people. So, you know, you, so the problem is the people in power don't have real representation of people who, who are struggling with many jobs, uh, who are rent burdened, who are busy, you know, with childcare. Uh, so, um, you know, some people say, oh, that's just democracy. That's how it works. But it, it really doesn't have to be that way. There's, there's other forms of democracy that have been around since ancient times that we still use in a lot of ways today. Uh, you know, in places like Belgium and Paris, they have permanent parts of government that use another system called democratic lotteries. And, you know, we actually use them in a lot of ways here in LA. Uh, most people know about it through the justice system, where we have juries. Those are a democratic lottery system. Uh, and you know, if you think about it, if you were in a criminal trial and your, your fate was on the line, you would never want that decision to be made by a political process. With campaigns and lobbyists, you want it to be guided by the facts and experts and hear all viewpoints and sides through deliberation and a, de and a decision, that's, that's the democratic lottery. Um, and I wanna talk more later about democratic lotteries and what they are and how they would look, how, what, they, okay. what it looks like. But I wanna, talk, I wanna ask Karthik, what does it look like to you? What would it look like to have a, a, a better governance, a better system of government, a governance? Yeah, thank you. What does you. it look like? Well, first, so, <laughs> you know, with, with something like California 100, right, mm -hmm. we, th we think about 100 as 100 years, but also 100 as, what does it mean to be like to keep it 100 or like to be 100% <laughs> to be 100% functional, right? To I have like a it. system that fully works. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways that that we talk about California is how can we make sure and it's not just at a statewide level, but at a regional and local and community level too, um, to be a state of innovation and a state of inclusion. At least recently, we're known for both of those things. We have a terrible long history of being very exclusionary, but in the last 20, 25 years or so, <clears throat> California is really kind of repairing itself and trying to reach those higher ideals. But when it comes to innovation, right, not just in Silicon Valley or in LA, so many different parts of California, we have, we have innovators everywhere. But ironically, not when it comes to our systems of governance, we actually tend to be quite conservative. If we think of some of the major innovations that happened, it was about a century ago with direct democracy that we're still living with, but we haven't really proliferated deliberative democracy, which is 
in some ways could repair some of the problems with direct democracy. So I think what it looks like is, as, as Miguel said, to use this opportunity to open up a much larger conversation. Yes, we can make little tweaks here and there, right? And we can think about some things like campaign finance reform. That, that would be more than a tweak. So Oakland is now voting on what they call democracy dollars. It's something that started in Seattle to make everyone a political donor, not just people with um, resources. So those are things that would be potential game changers on certain types of dynamics. But I would argue, similar to Leonardo, it's like now is the time to open up all the possibilities and to really talk through the pros and cons and then to figure out what kind of new systems do we need to create. Much as the progressive movement a century ago you know, was bold and pushed through a bunch of reforms, first at the local level, that then radiated up to the state level. So democratic lotteries, how would they work? How, how would, it, would it look like in Los Angeles? So one of the beautiful things about democratic lotteries is that they're very customizable to different situations. Uh, and so one, one example of democratic lotteries that I think is really important in this conversation, this moment right now in LA, is that we actually have a situation where the, the redistricting commission is a democratic lottery system. Uh, and, you know, and that's being, uh, you know, that, that's in conflict with the, the interests of, the, of certain members that, that were involved in the scandal with the LA City Council. So, um, but, but to answer your question, how, how it, would, it would work, uh, you know, generally they work just like juries, uh, where, you know, they're a representative cross-section of the community. Uh, so they, they have the diversity and the breadth of experience of the, of the community. And, um, you know, and they, they hear from experts. So I think one, one misunderstanding is the idea that uh, democratic lotteries will take away expertise from the process but actually they, they elevate expertise more because they're able to impartially listen to expertise without, have, without having other concerns. Like, you know, they don't have to worry about getting reelected. The decisions can be guided just by those facts um, that they hear from, from the experts and, and the other information that they get. Um, but I think, you know, in, in this moment, you know, certainly I would never say like, we, should, we should get rid of LA City Council and make it a democratic lottery overnight. But I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities for us, you know, like Karthik was saying, to, you know, to do more experimentation and to try out more uh, innovative forms of government that really get to the heart of this problem. And you know, one opportunity is if there is a, um, a uh, charter reform commission. I think that would be a great opportunity to get Angelinos empowered to really sit in the seats of a very important decision-making process in the city, you know, about what the charter is going to be, um, and we could do that through a democratic lottery. And then Karthik, you've, you've uh, studied other places where they do other things that work, that are more effective, so can you talk more about that? Sure. Um, I mean, democratic lotteries, like Leonora mentioned, you know, there's just different things. I mean, by the way, even when it comes to um, urban planning, I mean, there are things that cities do right now through charrettes and other methods to really get uh, citizen input, and I mean that in maybe the original sense of that term of a member of the city, right? So it's not just citizenship, thinking about it at a national level and, and legal immigrant status. There's an interesting innovation. Uh, there, there, there are some local governments in Japan and a few other places that have done these 
intergenerational uh, commissions, but they're like simulations. And what they do is to take the room, take half the people and make them members of that city in the year 2050. And then the other half representing the present moment. And then they have to come together and make decisions that will serve both parties. Now that is amazing because it scrambles all sorts of things because you have to role play, right? Including role play the interests of future generations, people not yet even born that are gonna inherit the city. And what are you doing, right? To have that long-term view. Um, Purchase budgeting, there are several jurisdictions that in California that do it in kind of certain controlled settings, but we could do a lot more. Um, and then online town halls, some of these are you know, th there, there are some uh, cities across the world that, that are dabbling in it more and more, uh, but we're still far away from people letting those type of innovations be dominant. Uh, but there are, there are things happening elsewhere that we could learn from. And Nithya, do you hear anything that you think could work for us or something that we're already doing? I know participatory budgeting, a lot of mm -hmm. places in LA are already doing that. Yes, and actually just, I did wanna, Correct one thing: we don't have a, um, a, a system like what you were talking about for the redistricting commission that we have for the city of Los Angeles or for LAUSD, which is governed by the same charter. Part of the challenge with the redistricting process is that commissioners are appointed by the council themselves um, and can be replaced at will, can be relatives, can be. Um, you know, they can be lobbyists, which some of them were, with business in front of the city. Um, they had really significant conflicts of interest. They had some people who were in, in, in the LAUSD commission ended up being um, spouses with someone who ended up running for the seats that they themselves helped design. None of that is banned by the current re charter. And so I think there's a lot we need to be doing. The kind of a redistricting commission that you're talking about, I think, exists at the state level in California, but not in the city of LA. Um, yeah, but I think there's a lot that we can do, like even thinking about what are innovations that are happening at, in, in independent redistricting, that we don't have to rebuild, uh, a, you know, build a new machine here. We can actually just learn from existing innovations that have happened at the state level, that have happened at the county level, that have happened across America, and really start putting in some of these more democratic elements into really important processes here. And I think that there's a lot that you both have said that's really exciting and that's potentially workable. I think the question is really just um, if there is an idea that we can consolidate around and how would you actually you know, make it happen once, you, once people can consolidate around it. I know in my own work I'm trying to say, okay, how can we get some of these minimum innovations that we need in order for the city to function more effectively? Things like putting in an independent, a truly independent redistricting commission at the city. Things like um, expanding the size of the council so that that question of representation can be more, you know, one that's had by many more people who are elected here for the city of Los Angeles. Things like taking certain kinds of decision making out of the hands of particular council members so that we don't have um, opportunities for corruption over land use decision making, for example. So I think there's lots of, <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities that we can have for fixing our current system. And I think that things that, that both of you are talking about are incredibly exciting. Um, but I think we have to figure out a way to rally around a particular model that can really elevate what we're doing here in LA. How about neighborhood councils? 
I know that some people even uh, suggested putting neighborhood council members on the city council for, for vacant seats. How do you think that can work, or do you think that can be a, a model if they were empowered to do things on a larger yeah, scale? So that word you mentioned in terms of empowered, I think we mm -hmm. need to start digging deeper into that. Because I think, yes, I think there's all sorts of um, different innovations we can consider, but ultimately, and, and Miguel, I think you talked about some of the stuff that may be deep-rooted is, I mean, these are fights in terms of power over access to resources, over land use decisions, and power, uh, existing power holders do not give up that power easily. But this is where I think sometimes innovation can help if it creates some uncertainty, where people who are, you know, have existing power don't feel like they are certain to lose in the new system, right, and, and, and to maybe adapt to those systems. But absolutely, I mean, I think, well, on the other hand, you could think about maybe a strong mayor system, you know, for certain types of accountability that might escape when you have so, like expand the city council, then accountability in terms of your representative, like that function can be increased, but if you don't have someone who's responsible for the whole city that actually has any meaningful power or influence to actually change things, that could actually lead to greater frustration. So I think we, we need to, like Charter Revision Commission, or just this kind of this larger notion of what is the kind of political system we want? What are the kind of things we want to optimize for, encourage? What are the kind of harms we want to minimize? But really try to see some of this with fresh eyes, even if the solutions are old solutions, but at least approach it with that kind of civic energy, I think, is critical. I, I don't disagree that it, this is a time to look at governance, but I think it's also a time to look at the role of government and the expectations that Angelinos have of their city. And, and I think at the core of some of this conflict is um, real um, failure that, f that regular Angelinos feel about the role of the city in being responsive to the issues that they most care about. Whether it's just keeping the streets clean, whether it's uh, responding to the crisis of homelessness with urgency, whether it's the relationship between the police and, 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 and residents, some very fundamental questions and challenges are being asked. And so I think it's important that in the context of talking about governance, we can't lose sight of asking the question, for what purpose? What is the, the shared outcome we wanna get to? Success isn't just changing the boxes around or creating different processes. That's not what success should look like. Success should be something you could actually see in the community. The real outcomes that people feel that it actually reflects the kind of uh, community that we all want to have. And I, and I think the frustration that many Angelinos have is not just about the question of power. Most, most people don't even think about that. They think about why does it take so long for graffiti to be removed from my block or why is that couch always being dumped on the same quarter every day. And I think those issues have to be part of the outcome to what a successful governance structure looks like. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was the former city council member, Michael Wu, who said you cannot regulate decency. You cannot, uh, <laughs> there, it's difficult to kind of put that in place and, and, and uh, people who govern, um, it, maybe this job attracts people who are not, uh, 
the most decent. <laughs> and so are, I'm wondering if any of these- Present um, company excluded. Uh, present company excluded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm wondering if um, any of the solutions we're talking about today respond to that problem. Like aside from representation, the idea that you can, it, it's difficult to, to regulate decency. Well, you sh we should assume that the folks in office aren't decent. We shouldn't structure a system with that expectation. And that's why at the end of the day, all of the proposals being offered is about diluting power from those in power in deciding what the distribution of power should be. So it really should be designed under the worst case scenario in mind. So that it's not, you're not hoping that someone's gonna do the right thing when the doors are closed. Where it's really not an option. You get presented district lines and guess what? You just have to approve them. Uh, and you don't get to decide which side of the street you represent. I think that's, and that's with the assumption that the folks who are in those roles may have the worst intentions in mind, not the best. So one thing I wanna add, kind of building up a couple of points here, Miguel, I think we need to dig a bit deeper into the role or the lack of local media, or at least the dearth of local media and, and coverage, right? So I think the, the couch on the end of the street, that's not being picked up, graffiti, absolutely. But to be able to connect the dots between that and what is going on in terms of decisions that are happening in the bureaucracy or political decisions that are, that are happening, uh, and this goes well beyond LA. I mean, at least LA has a couple of newspapers and other entities that, uh, including KCRW, right, and, and others that are trying to increase public awareness about what is going on in the business of government and how governance works. But in so many other parts of California, right, we've had the decimation of local media. The, the, the economic model for local newspapers and other forms of local media have vanished after Craigslist, after the rise of social media. And we don't have anything that's taken its place. So, you know, I'm out in the Inland Empire, east of LA, and we have, you know, charter amendments to the county that get thrown up that have not had much in the way of any kind of public conversation. Uh, and that's a big problem. And I think especially if we look outside of the very large cities like Los Angeles, but even in cities like Los Angeles, in terms of neighborhoods, the extent to which voters have a clear sense of what is going on, how representative government works and what the connections are, uh, and to have that kind of oversight if you will, right, when elections come up, we just don't have the information to empower residents to, to be making those decisions. I think what Karthik brings up is, is really important uh, for problems with elections and voting. You know, because I, I've been spending a lot of time, uh, you know, going door to door, talking to voters for campaigns. And, you know, the overwhelming message that I hear from people is that voting is one, it feels very disempowering to people. They don't feel like their vote matters. They don't think it has an impact on government or, um, or the outcomes that they're looking for. Uh, and, and two, voting is, is really hard with these ballots. I mean, there are so many people on these ballots. So, so and, then, and then that's on top of this issue that Karthik is talking about where, where there isn't reliable information out there. You know, there's, there's just misinformation, like we're seeing that now with all of these elections. Um, you know, as, as candidates and campaigns attack each other. Uh, so people are looking at their ballots, you know, it's, it's an immense research project to, to understand who's on the ballot, 
you know, understand issues on the ballot, like, like of course, dialysis. And you know, people, people are overwhelmed by it. They don't, they don't feel like they can make an informed decision. Uh, so you know, to me, I'm, I'm concerned about trying to address these systemic problems with just with more voting. When, when voters don't feel empowered by the process, you know, where we do have this alternative where we can put people, uh, you know, regular people and rotate them into panels where they're more able to, to study these issues like, like a jury does and, you know, get paid during that process, hear, hear from all sides and then make a recommendation. What, one thing I wanted to say is that the current very confusing structure of LA City where you have a weaker mayor, 15 stronger council members, where you have a county and a city that are separate and many small cities within the county. A lot of that decentralization and fragmentation in government came about in response to challenges with East Coast cities and the, the corruption that, that people who were out here setting up these governments and thinking about how Los Angeles should run wanted to avoid. They saw a lot of corruption in big East Coast cities. And they said, we don't want a mayor that can be that corrupt. We don't want a city that can be incentivized to be that corrupt. And so what we have here, this kind of proliferation of independent, well, not independent, but kind of empowered people at many, many levels of government was a fix for a problem that people saw at that time. You know? And the reason why it's so confusing is in part because of the very structures that people stood up to guard against challenges that they were facing when, when these governments were first created. And so I, you know, I think one of the things I want to step back and think about is, is really this question of what are the problems that we're solving as we're looking at this issue? Are we trying to solve a problem of how long it takes to vote? Or are we trying to resolve how governance works in Los Angeles so that we can address some of the broader challenges that we're facing here in this city? And how we do that in ways that really empower the, the best kind of the, the I think what people really want out of their government. How do we empower residents to get what they need from their government? And I think that's what we have to approach some of these governance reforms with. And I think, I think we can do that. And we can look at what have been the inadvertent harms that have come out of the structure that we set up in response to problems that were there a century ago. Um, some people have floated the idea that the reason that people hold on to power is because it is their, uh, that they're being paid, it's their profession. And, um, and maybe we should take that, that out of the equation. Have you, Karthik, looked at, any, yeah. at what happens when, you, when, it, when the being a people's representative is no longer a paid position? Yeah, I would say be careful what you wish for, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's tough. Often you get reforms that are responding to one problem, but then they end up creating other problems. Um, I mean, you see, this, you see this in local governments outside of the city of Los Angeles where um, they don't pay that much at all. And that means that people need to have uh, a job that enables them uh, to do this work uh, and still maintain uh, some steady level of income. Usually what it means is less time to devote to the kind of oversight and kind of governance questions that you need to do as an elected uh, representative. Often, uh, this is also part of like, when you think about um, 
places that, in, at the state level, that, that have part-time legislatures, a less kind of professional class of elected politicians, if you will, that you think, great, like those corrupt politicians that are drawing all this money, like let's just do away with all of that. Well, what, what ends up usually happening is special interests get empowered. Also, career staff get stronger, uh, and it's fine. I mean, there are people who are career staff who do amazing work, but we have representative oversight for a reason. Now, it could be some other, I would still say something like a democratic lottery is a representative system. It's not a, right, it, it is a representative process where you're basically delegating and entrusting that authority to a different kind of institution to do it. But this notion that we can, you know, get rid of the professional politicians, well, you either get like independently wealthy people running things or special interests and, and those with kind of long-term interests in government, either within government or outside, uh, that, that gain power. Uh, I, I think that's a really great point. Uh, but one thing I've noticed, uh, you know, talking to voters is that I, I actually think people, they don't want to elect um, professionals or experts to office. You know, generally they're looking, they're looking to elect, you know, regular people, like regular working people like them that have the, the same struggles and experiences. So, you know, I, I think that that's an interesting aspect um, of the system that we're using uh, because I think there is this desire to have more of that lived experience in decision making. Um, you know, of course, like still making sure that that expertise and facts are part of the process, but you know, ultimately, you know, who's who's going to be most motivated to, for example, solve you know a, a housing problem? You know, it's the people who are struggling the most with housing. They're they're going to really like feel that urgency and want to move forward solutions. I, I do want to push back against that a little bit because I think when I was running for office, at least, one of the reasons people were excited about. Um, you know, volunteering for my campaign was because I came at it from the perspective of an urban planner. Um, and, and, and the work that I had done and understanding the policy structure here and our, you know, I think the capacity for me to be able to say, hey, here is what the city council can do and here's how it can work better for you, I think was a message that really resonated with people. I think it's really true though that we have to find ways to bring people who have lived experience that is really reflective of our broader constituencies into office. And I think thinking about barriers that can prevent people who are renters from being able to run for office, people who are working parents, like that to me is like the, one of the biggest barriers that I think we face in our system um, is that if you're a working parent, the costs of childcare are so much and the time intensiveness of what we expect from parents in our, in, in our current um, economic system are so intensive that it's very, very rare that a working parent would ever be able to run for office. And I think having working parents and renters in office uh, who are the, you know, really representative of Angelinos, that would be amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I think we should definitely find ways to bring, bring more of those people into office, make it easier for people like that to run, and also make it compensated enough so that they could still take care of their families and do the job of running the city. We're coming up to the time where we will be taking audience questions soon, but I want to give you guys all a chance to answer just a final question and to kind of lay out your vision of what LA can look like under a true <laughs> a, a representative 
democracy. And in your vision, does the LA City Council exist? <laughs> Miguel, you wanna start? So I think we don't know. I, I think part of what makes this moment exciting is that it gives us permission to reimagine something that perhaps never has been done before. And um, I think this is where we really need to rely on those who have spent a career thinking about these issues. I mean, I think expertise will be helpful here, um, who, who have written about it, who've thought about it, who've studied other uh, forms of government, and could, and could lay out a, a pathway that, um, that brings representation closer to pe regular people, um, that is accountable, that is transparent, and that is responsive to the, the real issues that we're facing as a community. So, you know, I think we should give ourselves permission and some grace to kind of really imagine something different. Um, and, 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 but starting with the shared, uh, you know, conclusion that the status quo isn't working. And I think I didn't hear anyone here advocating for the existing form that we have. So, um, so I, I think that's what makes this moment kind of in, exciting and interesting. Well, you know, I, I really think about this question from my current position and from my role as one of the 15 people who, who makes up the LA City Council. And I think when I was running for office, I talked about a lot of governance reforms. I talked about you know, limiting control over land use decisions. I talked about expanding the size of the city council. I talked about, um, and if I, I did talk about independent redistricting. It wasn't a focus, but you know, I've talked about it since, since I went through redistricting, or redistricting happened to me. Um, but I think one of the things that's really exciting for me at this moment is that these things, which seemed absolutely impossible to get purchase on, from the people who are in power right now who make decisions about how the city is governed, suddenly have an incredible amount of power. Um, you know, there was a LA Times editorial that came out uh, a couple of days ago which listed a few of these reforms and the overwhelming majority of people who are currently elected to serve this city are saying, dilute my power, take away the number of constituents I have, reduce the amount of control I have over my district. To me, that's a really, we're in a really revolutionary moment. And so for me and my role on this council, I think it is to stay laser focused on what lessons we can learn from what we heard on those tapes beyond the horrific language that was used and the sentiments expressed. How do we make sure that the kind of politics and politicking that was happening is something that we can turn away from and how can we build something that's better, that's, that's more representative, that is more just, um, that leads us to a better and more functional city. Like we have a moment right now to be able to do that. And, and my goal is really to say, how do we move as quickly towards that as possible? So I'll answer this by, by <laughs> talking a little bit about, I mean, this kind of visioning and, and kind of strategies is precisely what we're doing with California 100. And I'll just say, I mean, not just in LA, so many other communities in California and throughout the country and even at our state and national level, 
we are living in disruptive times. And it's, it's very disorienting for folks in terms of what's happening in terms of our media environment, what's happening in terms of government, governance, jobs, future of work, all of that. And uh, moments like that, it's really important to try to ground ourselves in, in core values. And so what we have in terms of our core values, uh, it's an aspirational futures exercise, and it spells I rise, which is innovation, resilience, inclusion, sustainability, and equity. How do we go from these just being slogans to actually operationalizing them? And what does it mean to create systems that improve on all of these? And then finally, we are, so we're in the early stages of building uh, a kind of four-part system of what this kind of vision roadmap looks like. So the vision part is, what is our ideal California? What is our ideal community for people, for places, and the environment? And then what are the kinds of solutions that we should take seriously? Let's put everything on the table. And then comes the strategy part. That's the third leg of the stool, if you will, which is what are the barriers to enacting these solutions and how do we start picking off these barriers one by one? And then the final part, people can come up with strategy all day. What is our commitment? So what are we individually, personally, professionally, institutionally gonna do to make sure that we reach that, that summit, that vision, right? that better Los Angeles, that better California. Um, so in some ways, I'm, I'm not gonna give my vision itself because this is what we're trying to do is to try to create a movement where more and more people are part of the conversation and expertise matters. So it's not just any opinion is fine. It's like, let's have a common set of at least some facts and thinking about tensions and trade-offs between different types of solutions. But really, we, we have to open it up because we are living, you know, in terms of our politics, in terms of our economics and society and global forces. Climate change, we haven't talked about that. Like, there are all sorts of things that, that the kind of status quo is, is definitely not going to suit us well uh, in, in the next decade, let alone the next century. We've we got to get started as soon as possible. Leonora, you get the last word. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so maybe we'll continue to have a city council, uh, maybe maybe not. Uh, I think a lot of the reform ideas have been discussed are very exciting, but, but I hope that we make sure there are more opportunities for Angelinas to directly serve in some of these government decision-making roles, you know, like some of these other examples like Paris and Belgium. Uh, we could have permanent parts of government that are uh, that are a cross-section of the community. Uh, we, you know, we, we have a civil grand jury in LA County, which, which is also um, a democratic lottery. And you know, I, I think all the time, you know, what if we gave their recommendations more, more, uh, more weight in the government? Um, I think that would be a really exciting uh, next step uh, because they do make really great recommendations. And you know, it, when we have these these new opportunities, you know, for to really get outside of the status quo and um, make sure that we're listening to voices that, that are not a part of the current power structure, um, like when we're we're possibly going to do a charter reform commission, that's where I think the the opportunity is is greatest and it's most important to really to get Angelinos directly involved with that. Uh, and so, you know, I, I hope that we you know, pay more attention to these opportunities and revive this democratic tradition more um, and, you know, really empower Angelinos that way. Great. 
Um, does anyone in the audience have questions? You can line up on the side of the room. Any questions? You could start with an online question. Okay. Which of course disappeared from my phone as soon as I... Okay. In the immediate term, what should we demand of leaders and what should we demand they demand of their colleagues? Hmm. Who wants to take that one? Go. I, I think in the immediate term, as the city is exploring these questions, the public should demand that the process itself have an element that's independent. That really, um, it's, it's at, at the fundamental point of the sphere is, is taking power away from those who are in power. And it, it's very it's seductive when you are in power as we heard in that room. So, so I think that this process has to have an, uh, a, a real element of that. Um, not only experts, but folks on the ground who are, who, where it's, there are real consequences for what that power does and doesn't do. And, um, and so I, I, it's a it really, it's a incumbent on all of us as Angelinos to engage in that. And not just, you know, wait until the council says, this is a proposal and we're gonna move it forward, but really allow for the input to come in, even if unsolicited sometimes. The last three mayors have either not had a second term or had a disastrous second term. And the, the narrative of this campaign is if we elect one or the other of these candidates, somehow things will be better because they have the answers just as the past three mayors um, have hoped to, to surmount the inadequacies of the system. The dominant narrative continues to be if we could just elect the right mayor, um, all this would, would be fixed, and both candidates have pandered to that um, assumption. My question for the panelists, because I think you've um, surfaced fan fantastic ideas, is how do we get beyond um, 100 people on Zocalo to make this a dominant um, narrative and we don't lose this moment and we actually begin to talk about systemic reform in a serious way that doesn't peter out or get sidetracked to a council committee um, or like the calls for Kevin DeLeon just kind of to resign, just kind of peter out. How do we keep the conversation focused on systemic reform? Well, maybe I'll, I'll jump on what, something you said, <laughs> Councilmember, at the beginning of this constant irritant and pain, but maybe, maybe that's the spur, right? For every month, like that is a sign of a failure, a system that is in some type of failure. And that, I think, potentially then could just be that kind of constant goad to say that we need to maybe not rethink everything, but rethink a lot of things because this is a symptom and there are other symptoms that pop up you know from from homelessness and and you know from from the way that you know construction decisions get made etc to and to really be that kind of goad right because otherwise it's it's the kind of thing which a lot of people I think will just want to move on to say oh this is not us this doesn't reflect us and let's just move on and i think that's you know new mayor comes in and that's going to be the temptation um, so, but in the vein of like, let's not uh, have a crisis go to waste, but let's not have this kind of a thing. Like it should be a mirror and it should be a mirror that we look at 
as often as possible to figure out how can we do better. Uh, I, I think there's a real danger if we, if we use this moment and continue to do more of, of what's led to this problem in the first place. And you know, one, one way that could happen is if, you know, if changes are made, but you know, we're still relying on um, elections and processes that, that put um, the, the same people who already have access to power back into decision-making positions, you know, it's, it's no surprise that we'll, we'll continue to see um, these kinds of crises happen again and again. Uh, but, you know, if we want to have new perspectives and, uh, you know, we want to kind of get outside of that power structure that's already existing, um, then, you know, that's where we really need to go directly to, directly to the people of Los Angeles um, and hear from diverse viewpoints and people who maybe don't have the means or the opportunity to um, to make this kind of, uh, you know, to, to dedicate their lives to, to getting that kind of power. Like, they still have really important perspectives and insights to, to offer us in this moment. And, I, and I, I worry that if we, if we don't center those perspectives um, in, at this time, then we're going to just get back into the same old rhythms. Anyone else? How we can prevent from keep from doing the same thing over and over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think, yeah, I I do feel like we we do have a moment here that is very powerful, um, and I also just do want to point to the fact that we have had changes that happened in the city recently that have impacted the composition of the city council now. So two things happened, which I think were really transformative. One was that the election year changed from being on an off-year cycle to being on a federal election cycle, right? So my elections are, election happened when um, the presidential election was happening, and now our elections are timed with the midterms. So voter turnout is naturally higher. And what we've seen in the last election cycles, and we'll see what happens next week, but already in the primary, um, and in, in my election, and in the primary of this election, we've seen that new candidates are coming into power who would not traditionally have been elected here in Los Angeles because new voters came to the polls and elected new people. The second thing that was really transformative was, was matching funds. So that was campaign finance reform, and so for every dollar that somebody in the city of Los Angeles donates to a candidate who's running for office, the city matches it one to six. So you get six times the number of city dollars for every dollar that's donated from a resident of LA. And that was transformative. I mean, I got something like $185,000 from the city of LA for my general election campaign, which meant that I could play ball against an incumbent who raised the most amount of money in city council history for his campaign, right? And that was absolutely transformative. Me, a total political newbie, was elected. And that's cool, right? And that came about because of reforms. And I think we can think about reforms like these that are going to have really transformative impacts. And I think, uh, you know, I, I'm here because I'm an optimist. And, um, and I'm an optimist and a very practical person. And so I feel like, here's what I can do, here's my sphere of influence, and I'm really, really gonna push on the things that I think are gonna have those kinds of transformative changes going forward, because we've already seen them have some pretty big changes on LA City Council already. 
Okay, this is the last question we're gonna have time for, but please join us at the reception following the event to continue the conversation. Hello, uh, my name is Edward Martinez. I worked for the government for 27 years as a military person. I was in Iraq twice, a Purple Heart recipient. I was wondering why De Leon and Cadillo are being accused of something that they did not say. According to that billboard, they were silent through that meeting. They were showing respect for Martinez. And they knew that to be low profile is an asset in any government job. My question is to the lady with the red pantsuit. Leonora. Leonora. Do you think do you think it's possible, any possibility that De Leon and Sadio may be innocent? Is your question for Councilmember Rahman or for the council member, the well, lady? You know, I think I think we heard some um, we heard some pretty horrific comments from everyone who was at at that table that day or wherever they were in the conference room. Um, we heard comments uh, from council member council members that were anti-Oaxacan, um, anti-Indigenous. Um, that were spoken by all of the council members. We heard a comparison from one of the two council members mentioned here, um, comparing uh, a young black boy to an accessory, um, uh, to a Louis Vuitton purse, um, something that's both racist and homophobic. It's a homophobic trope to have uh, you know, a child as an accessory. Um, there were horrific statements that were stated by every single person in that room. Uh, and I think as an elected official, I think we all, I'm a human, we are all humans. We all err, we all make mistakes. And I think as an elected official, one of the things that we also have to do is step up and to speak up when there's, when there's wrongs that are happening around you. So I think in addition to comments that were made um, by those individuals, I think they do have a responsibility to speak truth, even to someone who's very powerful in that room, and to say, hey, this is crossing a line. You don't, you know, even to, even to demur, even to say, you can't really believe that. That's not funny. I feel uncomfortable with this. There's so many ways in which an invention could have been made that would have made that conversation look and feel very, very different from what we heard and what we saw. Um, you know, so I, It's not, I think, for me, um, in many ways, to, to forgive those individuals um, because the comments were not directed at me. Uh, Mike Bonin, my colleague on the council, said it's not even for him to forgive. It's for his son, Jacob, to choose when forgiveness happens and to grant them that forgiveness. But I think in the meantime, we do have to make sure that we are all standing up, as they didn't in that room, to say, 
this is not right and this doesn't represent us and um, this is unacceptable for Los Angeles. Well, we have to end it there. We could talk about this for hours, but unfortunately we are out of time. Thank you. Thank you everyone for coming. Don't forget to, uh, to subscribe to the Zocalo newsletter and the podcast and to the Zocalo social media feeds. And thank you guys all for coming. And thanks for my panel. <laughs>